0: Let's hack the process together. Omar Zenholm realized a semester into a Wharton MBA program that his 10 years of independent teaching experience already gave him the background to teach people what they really needed to know to run a business. His popular $100 MBA podcast now has close to 900 episodes, and it's helping to grow the audience for his library of business training materials. Along the way, he realized he needed a better tool to host his online classes, so he developed the webinar Ninja service, to scratch his own itch, and turn it into a software-as-a-service business by popular demand. In this episode, Omar will tell us why he believes that having immigrant parents broadened his perspective and strengthened his resolve, how leveraging your strengths can help set you in the most sustainable direction for your business, and what it's like running a company with a co-founder and partner who's also your spouse. So today I'm talking with Omar Zenholm. You might be familiar with his $100 MBA, or you might be familiar with him from Webinar Ninja. Omar, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you doing, David?
0: I'm doing great, and I'm I'm excited to talk with you. I was curious. You started with the $100 MBA, and then you went into Webinar Ninja, but I know you've got a long background. Where did you go from $100 MBA to Webinar Ninja?
1: Well, I've been a, uh, a webinar user for some time, and I was doing webinars for our community at the $100 MBA. I was just trying to build our community as well as support our existing community. I answer questions, things like that. And I just wasn't happy with some of the software that I was using. The process was a little bit clunky. You know, there's a lot lot more newer software that has come out, including Webinar Ninja. But at the time, this is back in 2013, you know, it was, there was a lot of moving parts. There's the video engine, and then you had different software for landing pages, and then you had different software for the chat. And. It was almost too much trouble than it was worth. But I continued to do webinars, and I just sat one day after a webinar. I was like, wow, that's a lot of work to put it together. There's got to be an easy way to do this. And I thought to myself, is there any way I can like automate this process somehow or create some th- sort of solution? And I was just thinking about my own self, just so I don't have to do the work over and over again every time I run a webinar. I just decided to try to create something for myself. At the time, it was a WordPress plugin. Very simple thing, I hired a developer to help clean up my code a little bit. I'm not a coder myself, I'm just self-taught. Uh, I needed somebody to kind of clean it up for me. And, and then I just started using that for my webinars. And my attendees were like, hey, what are you using for this webinar? And I was like, oh, it's just something I put together just to make things easier for me. And they're like, well, can I buy it? And I thought, uh, give me, give me some time to put a sales page together. It was funny because I wasn't expecting it because I was just scratching my own itch. But then when I spoke to my uh, co-founder and partner, Nicole, I was like, you know, do we want to try this out? Do, is this worth even doing? I mean, is, is, is there any business in this? And she was like, well, let's let's let the market decide. Let's see if anybody buys. Let's see if we can take some pre-orders. And we did that. We opened it up for 150 people. We said, hey, we're going to be creating this software. You guys will have early access. This is how much it costs. So it was a really good deal for them. And, and uh, we sold out in 48 hours. And we're like, okay, there is a demand. We opened it up again for 100 users after we released the first beta, and that sold out in 24 hours. And they were like, okay, I think we might have something here, and we may want to double down and, and develop it out.
0: It's great when the market gives you such a clear signal. Although I know getting into software as a service is sometimes very challenging for people.
1: Definitely. For me, it's been the biggest business challenge, and that's why I enjoy it so much, just because it's it's allowed me to grow so much because the challenges are so great. And as you develop, as you grow in a, in a SaaS business, you realize it's all about not only a quality product but it's also the service it's software as a service and people want to make sure they feel supported and that you have a great team behind you that's that's going to help people out as they as they become members so for me it's it's more than just a product it's also supporting those those users to make sure they win with webinars.
0: That's one of the reasons why I'm really interested in the transition from the $100 MBA to Webinar Ninja. Could you tell us a little bit about the $100 MBA business?
1: I started the $100 MBA because I went to Wharton Business School for a semester and dropped out because it was just dawned upon me that, you know, maybe I don't need to be in business school to learn business. In fact, you know, it was a second career for me because I was in education for over thirteen years. I was a high school and university educator. I was a middle manager. I had a department for a very long time. I had the degrees in that area, I had my masters in education. And then when I made a transition to be a full time entrepreneur, I was doing some side hustling for years, but when I became a full-time entrepreneur, to be honest, I was insecure. I was like, well, maybe I need to get a, you know an MBA in order for people to take me seriously. But after a semester, I, you know I got some advice from a professor and I thought, you know maybe I need to drop out and start my own thing. And I realized how many people are in that position where they they want to transition in their life, they want to learn the fundamentals of business, they want to learn about finance and marketing and sales and all that stuff that the building blocks of being a great entrepreneur, but not don't necessarily want a piece of paper or pay a hundred grand you know to to make that happen because they're trying to build something for themselves. So that's kind of where we came up with the $100 MBA, which is a little bit of a joke, you know, that most MBAs are $100,000. For me, that was just a very natural transition because, you know, I had other businesses on the side when I was a teacher. But when I started the $100 MBA, it allowed me to teach and use my strengths as a teacher. You know, a lot of people online create online courses, but don't have the background in education, don't know how to put a lesson together, don't know how to put a curriculum together, don't know how to ensure comprehension, for me, that was my bread and butter. You know, I taught five classes a day for 13 years. You know, so for me, it was a great transition. I was a- able to leverage my strengths as a teacher. And I think that's kind of where a lot of the success for the $100 MBA came from.
0: No, That'll definitely prepare you for the teaching aspect of it. But you were able to go out there and teach some really useful things that people were able to benefit from.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of it was just I thought what I need to do or learn when i first got started and i just you know things from ideal validation to basic marketing strategies basic you know sales strategies understanding your finances profit loss sheet making sure that you know you'd be able to track your progress things like that so it's a great foundation and we encourage a lot of people to, to do as they're learning to and a lot of our work sheets and our workbooks in the course are practical exercises were allows them to kind of implement what they're learning right away and that's the whole point the point is you know, anybody that tells you that you can take a course or take some sort of program and you leave and you're ready to launch the next billion-dollar company is lying to you. You, know, you need to figure out what kind of entrepreneur you're going to be. You need to know some fundamentals, but you have to go out and do the work.
0: I feel as if that's something that's slowly getting integrated into the business schools that are out there now. I myself am a graduate of an MBA program from long enough ago that it was before this notion of online entrepreneurship was really part of what they're teaching. It feels like today, MBA programs are almost starting to catch up with what you're already doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. I mean, that's good news for everybody. I mean, I think the more practical it could be. I worked in education. I was a you know middle manager at a university. And the thing is that there's a lot of bureaucracy. I mean, it's very hard for these institutions to stay abreast with the with the market because a lot of their assessments are created by other other companies and they have contracts with them for three to four years. So it's very hard for them to change the curriculum on the fly when they have a contract with the assessment body. And that's very common practice in education because it is a business. Private education is a business. I would like to see them to be more flexible because business changes dramatically in the last five years, last four years, if you think about it. I mean, if you're doing your MBA and it takes two years to finish your MBA, what you learned the first day may be obviously the day you graduate.
0: It's true in so many fields these days. You mentioned that you had been doing side hustles while you were teaching as well. So it sounds like you've kind of got this entrepreneurial spirit that's kind of built into what you've been thinking about all along.
1: It's funny they say that because I didn't realize that until later in life. You know, my father, his second career was in sales and he was a very good salesperson, you know, and he was in car sales, uh, luxury automobiles. And that's typically what people think of when they think of a salesperson. And for me, that's just my dad. And I used to go to work with my dad when I was younger. I used to wash cars at the wash bay when I was my first job when I was 13. And I learned a lot just by watching him. But I never, when I grew up, never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur or in sales. I actually was trying to be as conservative as possible because I saw the you know the instability of being in sales. You know, One summer, we're having vacation at Disney World, and the next summer, it's the backyard, right? So... <laughs> For me, I grew up and I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to go to the military. So for me, I was like, okay. And those are respectful paths. But for me, I, I said, I think I could be a good teacher and everybody needs an education and that's a stable job. And that's how I got into teaching is I actually was trying to deny that kind of part of my life. Funnily enough, I think some of that stuff seeped in just being around it. And then when I was in teaching, when I was teaching, I was always interested in seeing, is there any way to kind of make any extra money on the side Teachers don't make a lot of money. <laughs> and the internet came about and I started to really learn about, you know, technology and, and the online space. I started learning how to build websites and around two thousand, I would say ninety nine, two thousand. And I just started dabbling into it. I remember having a Yahoo store and then an eBay store and building some small arbitrage businesses and then and then slowly I started to pick up and try to do something a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And for me it was just curiosity as well as just When you make that first dollar that's not your paycheck, it's a little bit different. It's like, wow, okay, the sky's the limit here. Like, can I make more than $2? Can I make $3? Can I make $4? And then it's just like, it just becomes like a personal challenge.
0: I know, and it's amazing when you find yourself in a position where there are people out there buying your products who are complete strangers to you. They don't know who you are, and yet they want what you what you have so much that they're willing to send you money for it. So you were building little things on the side online. Was uh, online the way that you started with those entrepreneurial ventures, or were you doing other things as well?
1: So one of my larger businesses that I had before I started the Hundred All MBA was a clothing line. I had a custom tailored clothing line for men, where people would order. There were custom-tailored shirts. They would do self-measurements. We'd have a guide to do that, and we would create a custom-tailored shirt for them and send it to their home. That was, I would say, a, a mix of physical products, a physical business, because we had you know, our own workshop where we had our tailors, as well as we had warehouses across different countries in order for us to fulfill the product properly and cut on shipping costs and all that stuff. For us, it was a lot of fun because I got to have a taste of a physical business where I'm selling physical products and dealing with returns and exchanges and, and going to trade shows and all that stuff and talking to customers, but at the same time, building an online presence and building content and making sure that people have a smooth experience online and buying the product. That was a very, very challenging business for me, and it was a very good experience because I had some success in it. But it was also a good learning experience for me because as much as I enjoyed the success, I... You know I'm not a fashion designer, you know I'm not somebody who loves fashion to the point where it's my life. I got into it because I saw an opportunity because I realized that you know a lot of men like myself who are you know I'm six, five, you know I have long arms, it's very hard to find a shirt that fits. You have to get it tailored really to get something that looks great. There are a lot of men like that that have just don't fit the mold of you know being you know five, eight and, and and having the typical measurements for a shirt. So I just jumped on an opportunity. I saw an opportunity in the market. I said, wow, this is a great opportunity. Let me see if I can do it. I had a minimal viable offer. I, I created a few samples. I sold them to some of my friends and family. And then that kind of snowballed into to a larger business. But at the end of the day, I sold that business because my heart wasn't into it at the end. Even with the success, I was like, okay, I want to do something that you know I feel like is my calling. And this is not really, I didn't feel like this was going to be my legacy. So I just, I kind of decided to let it go.
0: You did not choose the easy path in starting a business like that, <laughs> you know nowadays there are so many opportunities to start businesses with information products and with online services that people are shy about going into physical products like that,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I mean there's a lot of challenges when it comes to physical products that people don't realize when it comes to inventory, when it comes to just returns and exchanges when it comes to quality control, when it comes to customs, and you know every country has its own laws and I was ignorant at the time. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into. But if I did know, I probably would have never got into it. So I'm glad I was a little bit naive.
0: It's interesting. So it sounds like you learned a lot about sales from following your father in the first place. But then you had to learn a lot on your own just by running this business. Although it sounds like you've been attracted to the sales side of things despite your inclinations.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's funny because I had a good example of my father because my parents are Egyptian. They came to America in the mid-60s. I always look at my parents and think, wow, you know, I have it so easy compared to them because, you know, they, they moved country, they had to learn a new language, they had to learn a new lifestyle, no friends, no family, no nothing. They had to learn how to get to work. And they, I mean, think about that. You move to a new city, it's hard to, to know and there's no navigation and all that stuff. And on top of that, you know, my father changed careers because he couldn't find work as an engineer here, so he went into sales you know for me that alone that kind of uphill battle and just learning to just deal with life and saying hey this is the challenge in front of me i'm going to move forward i'm going to make it happen i'm going to try my best to have the best life as possible and see the opportunities that i have in front of me when i look back and look at my father as a salesperson you know he was just a very helpful person i never felt like he was a salesy guy like he had some sort of tactic or some sort of procedure or some sort of strategy he had he was just somebody who loves to recommend great things and somebody who just was honest about what he did and i think people just appreciated that i think people just appreciated the fact that he didn't put any pressure on anybody told them to do their homework and said hey you know we're a little bit more expensive than our competitors but this is what you're going to get i'm going to be with you along the way through the service and you know i kind of picked it up and i would see the other salesmen on the floor do things differently I don't know why, but when you grow up as a child of an immigrant, you always think that, oh, maybe, maybe everybody else is doing it right and my father's doing it wrong because he's not, a, you know, he's not a native speaker, all that stuff. But it didn't matter because his style resonated with people and he had his own clientele and it worked. And as an adult, as I grew older, I realized, wow, you know, just being a little bit different, doing things a little bit differently resonated with people rather than trying to be the typical salesperson.
0: I think the immigrant perspective actually opens up a lot of possibilities for people in, in that they see what's happening around them from an outsider's perspective, and they also bring what they have inside to the situation. So they can bring that duality and and bring it into the process.
1: Definitely. I think that's definitely true. And I think a lot of people ask me, you know, like, how do I stay motivated? And I'm struggling. And I think there's a work ethic that needs to be instilled when you're young. I, I mean, I don't have a straight answer sometimes. I'm like, I have some strategies, uh, things I do but at the end of the day, you know, when you grow up in an environment where your parents constantly remind you, like, we didn't come to this country to mess around. Like, we came here for opportunity, we came here to excel, and we expect the same from you. You know, we've sacrificed so much so you can have these opportunities. So you have an obligation to work hard and to try and to, and to do your best. And I've never had this feeling where it's just like I'm entitled to something in life. Uh, you have to work hard for it. That's what I've been around. So... I think that's been incredibly helpful for me growing up and as an entrepreneur now today to always feel like i have to earn people's business i have to earn people's trust
0: and it sounds like you view that as in, in, in a very positive light i mean some people would feel that that was almost like an undue pressure on themselves
1: oh no you need pressure in life that's how diamonds are made you know and it's that you need a little pressure so you can be able to create the best work you know i think that creativity comes out of constriction when you have constraints and you have a deadline you have a certain budget okay, I gotta make something happen with what I have in front of me, just like creating a dish in the kitchen, you know? I really believe that you need to have a good level of fear, a good level of uh, feel of failure in order for you to, to excel.
0: I like that pressure creates diamonds. It's absolutely true. The thing that I noticed when you were talking about your father and the way that he approached sales and the way that he was sort of gentler than some of the other salesmen that you see, is that the way that you teach people in your courses?
1: Yeah, I think I do. I also think that when it comes to the topic of sales... A lot of people cringe. They're like, oh, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not, I, you know. And what I always say is that, well, you're going to have to learn how to become your type of salesperson where you feel comfortable if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Because in life, you're always selling. I always give examples like you know, if you went to a great Italian restaurant, you told a friend about this Italian restaurant, you just sold them on that Italian restaurant. You're just giving a recommendation. You're talking about the benefits. You're talking about why it's better. You're talking about, how I you know solved a pain or a problem for you because you know it was just an authentic and reminded you of those times when you went to Italy when you were younger or whatever. But the point is, is that sales doesn't necessarily mean I'm cajoling or convincing or forcing somebody into something. Rather, you're highlighting the benefits and and how it's going to help them in some way. I really believe that sales is a form of, in some ways, an obligation. You have to you have something that's going to help people. You're obligated to say, hey, there's something here that can help you. That's a good fit for you. I'd like to show it to you, and if you're interested, go ahead. If not, it's not. I mean, the whole point is that you're, you obviously you want to speak to the people that are interested, people that are that need your help, that need the product that you're selling, and that makes things a whole lot easier. Your job is just to get them over the line and say, "Hey, this is why I'm going to be able to earn your business is because we're we do X, Y, and Z. This is how it helps you. This is how it's going to make things easier for you." I mean, if they hear that, it's a no-brainer. Then it's like, okay, why wouldn't I do this? If this is going to help my life, is this is worth a lot more than what I'm going to spend. And that's kind of how I I view sales and that's how I try to teach it is that it's not some sort of personality or some sort of charisma that you have to have. It's just a way of explaining and teaching people, educating people about what you offer.
0: And of course, listening to the people as well, and adjusting your offers to match what they're looking for.
1: Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's something that we learned a lot through through Webinar Ninja through the software is that you never really know hundred percent what people actually need or want until you actually put it out there and you get some feedback. And feedback's not always straightforward. It's not like oh, I like this, don't like this. You know, often it's hard for people to tell you what they like, but they they'll tell you what they don't like. They'll tell you what they do do like what they actually practice. And then you can infer from that. You can figure out, okay, they don't like these things. That means these are problems. How can I solve these problems? If I can come up with a solution, I think that that would make them more of a happy user, more of a happy customer. That's definitely true. Listening is a very big part of, of any kind of sales process is figuring out well, no, what, what what resonates with this person and how can I be able to give them something that will respond to them.
0: So you run both an information product and software as a service product at this point and there are different ways of gathering that kind of feedback from audiences. I'm curious how you're doing that in those different environments.
1: That's a good question. So, with The $100 MBA, we definitely get a lot of feedback because we encourage a lot of engagement whether it's questions and answers under each video, whether it's ratings and reviews on our podcast, whether it's emails, you know, when we send out weekly emails, we ask people to reply and give their their feedback on the topics of the blog posts, things like that people that find something that resonates with them, whether it's a blog, let's say for example, it's a blog post and say, you know what? This is really something that really resonates with me. I agree or I disagree or whatever. You know you hit a nerve and you know that you have to double down on that. Okay, I need to focus on this area of business a little bit more, maybe develop a mini course on that. When it comes to Webinar Ninja, with technology, it makes things a whole lot easier. With technology, you're able to see and track all the actions of your members. You're able to see how many webinars does that person create? How often do they do it, how many attendees they had, their success rate, all that kind of stuff. And we can track all this stuff and figure out what trends are happening. So for example, if we realize, you know, we look at anybody who's canceled their membership, we take a look at their history, say, okay, anybody who's canceled their membership after being with us for more than a month, we know that the reason they do that is because they haven't created enough webinars. So if we can get them to create one or two webinars in that first month. Then we can get them some momentum and then they will be able to get some wins through those webinars and continue to use the software. So our job at that point is like, so how can we cultivate a relationship with them so they can feel comfortable to create a webinar? What can our customer service do to support them in creating that first webinar? Whether it's their PowerPoint presentation, whether it's actually creating the, creating the webinar in the software, whether it's just doing an open Q&A to answer any kind of fears or questions. So it's, with technology, it's a whole lot easier to analyze and we also ask we love doing surveys with our customers we incentivize them by like giving them beta access to new features when they do a survey or a new update and we ask questions like what's your biggest fear when it comes to webinars how many webinars have you done in this last six months and why not only do I want to hear from them about their fears so I can be able to address them, but also learn about the language they use to address their fears. This allows me to be able to speak their language, whether it's in sales copy, whether it's in training, whether it's in new tutorials or videos. I'm in the woods, you know i'm I see things completely different because you know we're creating the software. I know webinars inside and out, which is quite a challenge for me, not only because I, I need to make sure that I'm speaking the same language as my users. Well, also when you hire somebody new to your team, like you have to orient them on the whole world of webinars. Hey, guys, this is what webinars are, and and you can't assume anything. You have to constantly see things in their perspective. So running surveys really helps with that as well.
0: It sounds like that feeds into both the way that you document the product internally and also the way that you market it to people.
1: Yeah, definitely, a hundred percent. I mean, I have like a, a spreadsheet with just phrases of what people respond to in some of these surveys and I, I refer to them and often if i see a phrase be repeated you know 3 or 4 times nicole and i think okay let's let's shoot a video a tutorial on that for our blog let's shoot a video on choosing the right mic for your webinar okay a lot of people are asking questions about that they're worried about you know not sounding properly on the webinar so that's a good topic let's do a kind of a deep dive video on that and address these issues and then offer that to our customer service team to let them know that hey we just shot this video if you get any questions or or anybody's wondering about this, you know, make sure that you give them this link. So even though Webinar Ninja is a software, part of it is education as well. Part of it is also providing them with the training so they feel comfortable enough to be a Webinar Ninja, what we call.
0: People are confused, I think, about, about webinars and the way that they're used effectively. A lot of people sell information products through webinars, but I don't think webinars are exclusively for information products, are they?
1: No, they're not. I mean, some people use it for their own practice. Like we have a whole bunch of like small business owners, like lawyers, doctors, consultants, and they use webinars as a lead gen, like uh, real estate agents where they'll have a webinar with maybe like 15, 20 people that are interested in a property. They'll have a webinar beforehand because sometimes these properties, like one of our users, some of these properties are really exotic properties worth millions of dollars in foreign locations like the Malfi Coast or something like that, right? And and before they want to fly out and see this property, they'll do a webinar and they'll they'll use their webcam and they'll show the property around and they'll talk about the property and all that stuff and, and also talk about, you know, some of the things to weed out these prospective customers and get people that are really interested to come and fly out and do that and see the property and auction on it. We have doctors and lawyers that do consulting, psychologists that do some consulting. We have people that do meditation practices online as well. We have software companies that use us to do demos for their clients. So yeah, I mean, webinars are a great teaching tool as well. You know, We have people that use it to do language lessons, that teach Chinese to other people across the world, which is great because it's one to many and they can have a classroom of 30, 40, 50, 100 people, no problem. People that can ask questions and they can design homework and all that stuff and it's fun because once a month, I'll take a look at some of you know, some of the webinars that have been done in the past month, and it's just great to see all the variety of, of markets.
0: It's nice to hear all of these opportunities are opening up for people, and the technology makes that possible in ways that I don't think was before. And now that people can reach out across the world with new ideas, it actually it, it enabled also the $100 MBA program in the, the sense that you could, as a teacher, find a way to take what is normally a low-paying profession and make it something that can earn you an income.
1: Definitely. I mean, for me, when I learned about webinars, I was blown away. As a teacher, just as my experience as an educator, I was like, "What the? I could teach anybody." Like my whole experience is teaching people in a room, you know, like teaching students, thirty max students in a room or something. And I was like, "Wow, I have the opportunity to teach thousands of people if I wanted to." I just thought it was incredible that you know I can show my face, I can show my slides, we can take questions, I can you know have a conversation with people. For me, it was just an amazing tool. It just blew my mind. I was just like, I got to do more of these. And that's kind of how I got into it.
0: So what are some of the fears that you've noted down in your spreadsheet, things that stop people from moving forward?
1: Well, one of the things is actually content. They're like, I don't know what I should do my webinar on. I don't know what topic to do. I'm in this market and I'm not sure what would resonate with my audience. And we just shot a video for our new blog on that topic. And we discussed the idea of like some strategies of how you don't have to think about it in your own head. You can get information from your users. You get information from your audience. Even if you don't have an existing audience, get on Facebook, there's these great groups that you can ask people, hey, what are you struggling with when it comes to yoga? What are, what are you struggling with when it comes to your golf game? What's your biggest challenge when it comes to your golf game? And get people's you know answers. And then, you know, you could take those answers, you can create a poll, you can create a survey and to get the right topic for you. You know, we talk about there's simple things you can do if you have a blog, blog about the the topic and see if it resonates with people and see if they want a webinar on it. And then from there, you know, we talk about how to create a create an actual workshop out of that topic and how to reframe the title. So it's a little bit more eye catching and it solves a problem rather than just five tips for golf. You want to be a little bit more specific and say, Beat your boss the next time you're out on the golf course with these five great tips. You know you're really getting really specific people, specific pain. And for us, you know that was a big fear for people, our big kind of obstacles, like, well, I want to get started, but I'm not really sure what should I teach. So we want to kind of address that issue, some great techniques to get you started. Another great way that I highly recommend people in terms of coming up with a topic is to run a q and a webinar. Your first webinar can just be ask me anything. And people are going to ask questions and all that stuff. And you can get some great topics from these questions, questions that really resonate with the crowd. You can jot them down. And you know, with our software, you, we record all the questions, and you have them saved in your system so you can refer them later. So it's really a good way for you to get some great topics for the future. And even if people ask you questions you can't answer immediately, that's okay. You can say, hey, I need to look into that. I want to give you the best answer for that. I'll get back to you. And you can email them later on once you've done your research. So it's definitely a a great way to get great topics. I mean, other fears are just like, you know, when it comes to the technology, what's a good webcam, what's a good mic? Some people overthink it a little bit too much. And we talk about, you know, like the most difficult thing about doing a webinar is doing a webinar. You have to just do the first one, you know? And that's why we encourage to do like a very low pressure Q&A webinar as your first one. When people join Webinar Ninja, one of the things we do is we send an email out from customer service that says, we assign them a Webinar Ninja expert and they tell them, hey, you know, this is, I'm so-and-so, and I'm here to help you out with your first webinar. If you have any questions, let me know. Here's some great tutorials. And we just want to encourage them just to create their first webinar. So these are some of the fears that people have, and we're trying to address them one by one. We understand that you know sometimes people are going to have to take action to be able to do it, and there's so much that we can do, but we want to make sure that we're as supportive as possible. Because at the end of the day, you know, if we can help them get over that hump, if we can get them to have better webinars with no worries, that's really what we're looking for. Absolutely.
0: And I think one of the fears that I've heard people talk about is that nobody's going to show up for my webinar. I'm going to be there all alone talking to an empty room.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely something that people have addressed. And we we talk about some of the marketing strategies you could do. Just to reveal one of the, the newer features that we're going to be releasing in our, our next update, we're actually creating some built-in marketing for our users. So our our people that are creating webinars, we're going to have a search engine for webinars for people to find you and discover you based on your topics and your keywords so we want to help our users get better more attendees better attendees more targeted attendees in that way so obviously you can do your do your due diligence and and make those efforts in terms of marketing that webinar but we want to do our part as well and and share your webinar with our community
0: that sounds like it's going to be an awesome feature. I'm sure people are going to be glad to take advantage of something like that. I want to dig into one of the tactics that you mentioned earlier. You were talking about recommending that people, for example, get onto Facebook and talk with their peers. I'm curious if you've been involved in any like uh, peer mentoring or mastermind groups as you've been going along the way of rebuilding your business.
1: Yeah, I've been a part of a few mastermind groups. I'm a part of one right now, actually. It's definitely helpful, but my advice would be understand that you shouldn't be in a mastermind group for, for, for that long. I've been through a few because you want to keep on progressing and you want to be around people that will encourage you that maybe are a little bit ahead of you in some ways or can offer a certain perspective. It's very rare to be in a group where everybody kind of moves and grows at the same time. You know, often people will grow at different paces. So I've been a part of really helpful groups. I think it's just great to be able to get some fresh perspectives, some great feedback, Also, I think it's also a great opportunity for you to help other people and to give back and to just get somebody's back and to support them, whether they're launching a new product, whether they need feedback on on an existing product, whether they're just, you know, maybe frustrated with their work-life balance or whatever it is. It's good just to help other people and get their back because one day you're going to need their help. I think it's just a great relationship builder as well. But I definitely think it helps to be around people that are a little bit ahead of you growing up even as you know in my, when I was early 20s all my friends were older than me cuz I just felt like there's so much more to learn from somebody who's older than me there's so much more experience they have that they've been through this already maybe I can learn something from them i think that helps as well in a mastermind group so i was part of larger ones and now i'm in a, a smaller one uh, you know it was just four of us and we meet once a month some people meet once a week and things like that but we just meet once a month and it's the whole point of the mastermind group is to help each other out to give each other critical feedback, to give them you know, honest honest feedback when, when it comes to whatever they're working on or, or what they're doing. So I definitely think they're helpful.
0: It sounds like this is a, more of an informal mastermind group that you've like formed with a bunch of people you knew from other business relationships.
1: Yeah, all my mastermind groups have pretty much been either people that I've known or grown relationships in, in business and either somebody reached out to me. The current one, I actually took the initiative with another another partner of mine not partner in business, but another friend of mine. And we just, we were hanging out one day and, and he was visiting me and I said, hey, um, I really think that we should start a mastermind group together. I, I wasn't in one at the time and I was like, I haven't been in one in a while. I think I need to be in a part of one. I need to be around certain types of people. And he was like, okay, that's great. Who do you think we should be in this group? And I mentioned some names and he was like, okay, that's that's a good group. And we just started it together and we call, you know, we kind of called our first meeting, held some ground rules or some goals that we're all trying to achieve. And it also helps to kind of agree to meet in person at some point in the year and do some sort of, you know, mastermind in person, which is great, whether it's a kind of a mini vacation or or a way to kind of just bond in 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 person.
0: It's an important point that mastermind group does not have to be 100% face-to-face live real time in physical space.
1: Yeah. So mine is completely online, except, you know, we, we are going to be meeting in June, but We all have busy lives and, you know, they're across different countries. So it's, you know, you have that technology at your disposal. So you might as well try to pick the right group with the best talent, the best people that you want to be around, regardless of geography.
0: Were these people that you knew beforehand or did you introduce yourself by saying, hey, come join my mastermind group?
1: No, all these people we know, I knew very well. I would consider friends of mine. I've either supported their businesses some way in the past, people that I've looked up to in different ways. And hopefully I can provide value to them as much as they give me value. That's
0: excellent. So can you tell me a little bit about the structure of your businesses these days? I mean, you, you obviously, uh, it's not just you and your partner.
1: Yeah. So it was me and Nicole for a while, for uh, for a few years. But in the last couple of years, we've made a pretty concerted effort to really grow our team. Our team is now 21 te- uh, teammates uh, spread across the world. Our whole team is remote. We have a customer service department. It's about seven people. That includes a manager that runs that department as well as you know developers designers coders you know people that are project managers as well as like copywriters we're still trying to hire a couple more positions before the end of the year it's hard at the start i think it's been one of the hardest things i had to do as an entrepreneur because i'm I'm a little bit of a control freak and i had to learn that i can't do this alone i have to grow a team and what really helped me break out of that and really understand that is reading some really good biographies one of them was Elon Musk's book by, Elon, by Ashley Vance. The other one was Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. These people built incredible businesses because they made it a priority to, to bring on the best talent. They realized that, hey, I can only do so much. And I remember when making that first hire and then the second hire and the third hire, that started to ease up a little bit and realize hey, you know what? These are great people I can trust. These people are going to be able to do the, you know, the job well. I'm realizing that we don't want to grow too big, you know Nicole and I kind of have the idea of we want to keep it to under thirty employees just because' this, we want to be able to know everybody by name and and their family to us. We'd like to keep it as personal as possible and we're happy with with that kind of team and we believe there's so much you can do with that kind of size of team for me, that's been a great experience the whole experience of hiring people and and often you know sometimes you have to let go of people sometimes you have to fire people they're not a good fit and you realize how to hire better because of that, you know, like how to screen better and how to make sure they're a good fit before you hire them. And that's been a great experience.
0: Firing is such a painful process that it forces you to learn how to hire well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I mean there's so much you can do to to do that. And often I realize that you have to take your time a little bit more when it comes to the hiring process, the screening process. And sometimes when it's in, in an area that you are not an expert in, like technology, like you know, if I'm hiring a front end developer that person's a tech whiz in that area, like I'm not able to evaluate him as as well as I'd like to. And one of the things that we do is, you know, I, I get my lead developer to help me with those interviews sometimes to help me out. But as well as sometimes I can't make a decision. Like I have three candidates that are really good, so what I do is I hire all three of them and I say you guys have two weeks to work on this small portion of the project. In those two weeks, whoever has the best work will have the position. And I pay all three of them. It's, it's you know it's a little bit of an expense for two weeks, but you know for sure you get the best talent and the best fit culturally as well. So, and they understand what they're getting into before they do it, and that's really helped in areas that I'm not a super expert in.
0: Contract-based test projects are an excellent way to get people on board, especially when it's an area that you're not as familiar with. So I'm curious about the, the challenges you've come up against, in particular managing a distributed team, and what tools you've used to make that possible.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely a challenge. There are these advantages of having an office and everybody's right in front of you and you're able to manage by walking around and seeing what they're doing. But there are some major advantages as well as having a remote team because with a remote team, I'm able to hire the best talent possible in the world and this which is great. But at the same time, you know, you you have to give them some, you know, leeway. You got to give people a little bit more responsibility as well, a little more autonomy because You know, they're on their own time zone, their own time clock and all that stuff. And I'm fine with that because for us, we're all about results. We're all about getting the job done. As long as they get done what they need to get done in the time they would like, we're fine with that. Some of the tools that we use is Slack, which is the tool we use to communicate as a team uh, because, you know, we're global and there's, you know, people in Russia, we got people in Poland, we got people in the Philippines, we got people in the States. So it's a great way for people to leave messages, communicate with each other, share files, things like that. Speaking of files, we use Google Drive a lot. So Google Drive is something that we use to share our files or documentation or procedures or things like that. When it comes to project management, we like to use a couple of tools. One is called Trello, which is a is a free project management tool, as well as using something called MeisterTask. This is just a little bit of a more same thing as, as Trello, but we use it for our design projects, for UX and UI, because it's a little bit more visual. We could see things at a glance. So these are some of the tools that we use. We do a lot of video conferencing. We use Webinar Ninja for that. So we (laughs) Big
0: surprise there. Yeah. So
1: we just use, (laughs) I usually do a once a week meeting online for a department. So like we have a meeting this Wednesday with our, our development department where we all get together. It's very important for people to be on the same page and you can never over communicate when you have a remote team. So it's good to just kind of like, Hey, this is because people are working on individual projects or they're working on different parts of the project. They're like, okay, this person is working on this page, this person is working on this back end part of this part, you know, this part of the project. And it's good to know what everybody's doing. So like, hey, I want to make sure that I get my part done. So you're ready in time. So there's no lag time. And it's also good just to have good camaraderie. And Nicole, and I do plan to have an annual conference just for the team where we, we all meet in one location and have like a little bit of a celebration. You know, we're gonna to have to figure out serving our customers in that time, but <laughs> but we'll do some shifts or something. So
0: makes sense. Where are you physically located, by the way?
1: So we were in San Diego for some time. We recently moved to Sydney, Australia. So we we moved the whole business here. And Nicole, my partner in life and in business, is from Sydney. It's been an interesting transition being in this part of the world. It's been better for me in terms of time zone because a lot of our teams in Europe as well as the Asia, and it's been a little bit easier for me to communicate than when I was in San Diego because, you know, I'd have to stay up late to to catch them and things like that. So it's been a good transition and it's great for business here in Sa- in, in Sydney.
0: Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that because, uh, you know, managing a distributed team that's global, I was curious what your routine is like. What does your day process look like?
1: Oh, that's a good question. First thing I do when I wake up in the morning after my breakfast is I take a look at my list of to-dos. I usually try to write my to-dos the night before. It's literally paper and pen <laughs> and, um, I just list all the things I have to do. And this list doesn't just come out of thin air. It's a list that comes from a year-long planning that gets broken down to a monthly planning. So I kind of know what I need to do for each week and each day. And I list down and I carry over things that I didn't do from the previous day and all that stuff. So in the morning after breakfast, I take a look at that. I see what I have to do. And I always work on production first. So anything that has to do with producing any kind of content or creativity So I will record our podcasts in the morning. I will write blog posts in the morning. If I have to do any kind of creative work, whether it's like creating a page on the website, you know, page copy, things like that. I like to do as much production as possible in the morning to get, you know, my best energy out in that. And then I usually do any kind of consumption, whether that's meetings or reading emails or uh, responding to the team in the PM after lunch. And that allows me to kind of just make sure that I get the stuff that, helps the business out first. The priority is to make sure that, you know, production's out first and then consumption reading and, and, and following up with people I could do when my brain is not 100%.
0: <laughs> Where does the self-care routine fit into something like that?
1: Oh, definitely. So Nicole's been very good with her health and she's really helped me a lot with that in terms of making it a priority. You know, like I've, I've never been like out of shape in my life but I've never kind of made it a huge priority in my life after I was, you know, out of college. I just kind of hit the ground running and started working. Now I'm an adult and you know, all that stuff. So, But now in this past, I would say six months, I've made it a priority where I've gone to the gym four times a week, as well as I play in a basketball league, like a, just a friendly league once a week. And on Sundays, I play pick up ball with my friends here. I try to incorporate exercise as much as possible, if not daily, every five to six days a week because it just allows you to keep your mind sharp. But it also allows me to kind of have some time to listen to the things I want to listen to. So when I go to the gym, I love listening to audiobooks on Audible. I love listening to interesting podcasts and founder stories, things like that that inspire me or give me insights in different ways. It gives me a chance to just uh, reflect and I like to walk to the gym or walk to where I'm going just so it gives me a chance to get into that zone before I get into the gym before you know if you're if you're driving everywhere it's kind of hard so that's been a really good routine I've been doing and it's allowed me to stay in shape and stay sharp
0: it sounds like having a life partner who's also a business partner has been beneficial to you
1: oh definitely 100 percent. it's been great because it's not always going to be rosy she'll be frustrated with something in the business one day and she'll be down and I'll have to pick her up and then I'll be frustrated and she'll have to pick me up, which is great, you know, as long as we're not both down at the same time. <laughs> but it's great because I completely understand where she's coming from. She understands where I'm coming from. There's a little bit more patience and tolerance because of understanding the positions we're in and the responsibilities we have and and what you're working through. And it's also helpful because she'll remind me of the things I need to do. I'll remind, the thing, remind her of the things she needs to do, not only in work, but in life as well. Like, you know, whether it's errands or or exercise or things like that
0: is this where you thought that the relationship would go
1: no it just came very organically I got to be honest with you like Nicole's like my best friend it's been a great you know, journey being with her because we've grown the business together we've been through a lot of struggles and a lot of difficulty you know even financially difficulty at the start you know trying to cut back on different expenses so we can fund the business and things like that I really cherish a relationship like that because when you when you've been through something with somebody you know through thick and thin it builds character. It builds that kind of trust and bond with them. And you look around and say, you know what? We've been through a lot together, good and challenging. I don't want to say bad, but good and challenging. I can't say the same about anybody else around me. And there's that special kind of spirit that we have with each other, which is great. And I think it's been one of the best things I've done in my life is is go to business with somebody who I love and is my life partner as well. And no one's going to care more about the business than somebody that's you know your life partner. Like they're they're really going to put their you know, their their heart into it. You know, when things are rough in business or things are challenging, I always think this is a huge blessing in my life. I should be grateful. So what are you looking at
0: next? Where are you planning on taking the business next? I know you said you want to keep it kind of small.
1: I know I'm a very ambitious person. I love setting goals that I even believe are hard to hit or like really like, wow, that that'd be really, but I like to challenge myself. I like to say, why not? Why can't I do that? And for us with Webinar Ninja's next iteration, which is Webinar Ninja 5 it's launch that we're, we're gearing up to do a public launch in June, but we'll have some beta access for users before that. For us, it's going to be the largest software launch in our space. We really want it to be one of the largest software launches ever, as well as not in terms of launch, but we want to provide the best webinar solution on the market. And we've worked over a year on the solution. We invested over a million dollars in the solution. I mean, when I look at it, I was like, wow, we spent a lot of money on this, you know, a lot of uh, 30,000 collective hours into this project and I'm really proud of what we've built and will be releasing soon. And I really want to see our product, our service to be the solution, to be where people say, finally, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been wanting, not only for our current users, but for users who have never heard of us as well. So for me, that's always been the goal. And I, I really wanted to create an exceptional experience, not only software, but experience for people that makes them feel like wow this is the best experience i've ever had with any software whether it's in service whether it's in the experience of the software itself and for me that's really the goal and the first step in that goal is this release from there on in we'll we'll really start to expand on that and really work on that and and try to please our customers as well as please new ones i really want to create a game changing product in the market you know for me it's great to make money it's great to have a business that's sustainable But to have something that really wows people, that really is important to me, to have that kind of significant mark in the world.
0: We were talking about how the world is changing very quickly and people going into new careers are facing completely different challenges than they would have been facing two years earlier if they'd gone into the same career. If you were starting over right now, what would you be going into and how would you be approaching that?
1: Like completely over, like starting from college?
0: Well, let's assume that you still have your partner.
1: (laughs) Okay. <laughs> oh, good question. Um, one of the best things I've ever done was create consistent content that I'm proud of. So the show, The $100 MBA Show, our podcast, you know, we have over 865 episodes. We've done a great job with that show. And for me, it was a great practice to force myself to doing that daily podcast and cre- creating a great valuable lesson every single day on business. It was like almost like I went to some sort of like training camp for myself where I just had to teach myself to be disciplined and to create this content on a consistent basis. And for me, I think that would be my first advice to myself is, you know, just try to help people with good content and try to be consistent with it. You know, tr- let people know that you're you're not going to give up on them, that you're going to continue to provide good content and help them out through whatever they're going through in their business, whatever stage they're in. And for me, that was very helpful. Was like, even though it's it's helped so many people, the show has helped so many people. For me, it's been so helpful and a great practice because it forced me to have a little bit more resilience and and realize that hey, if you want to see something happen or grow, it takes some time and it takes consistency and perseverance. And and that's been a great exercise. And I would definitely recommend anybody who's getting started to do that. Some sort of ex- whether that's blogging, you know, twice a week, or whether that's creating a video or whatever it is. The consistency of it, it really builds character because a lot of people don't realize like when it comes to podcasting, and you know this as a podcaster, or whether it's a video show on YouTube or blogging, you know, most people don't make it out of the first five or 10 iterations, whatever five or 10 episodes or five or 10 blog posts, because it's just, it's hard work. And a lot of people just never get into the routine of saying, Hey, you know what, I'm going to commit to this and it has to be done and see it as like a debt I have to pay to my audience. And I think that by by doing that consistently, it's been really helpful. So, creating consistent content is very important. Being a part of the community you're trying to serve is very important. Like I think one of the advantages I've had with Webinar Ninja and, and the entire MBA is that, you know, I'm my first client. Like I I was somebody who wanted to learn business and learn the fundamentals without going to business school. I'm a person that wanted to do webinars in an easier fashion, something that would be easier to do as well as be a better experience for my attendees. You know, so if you understand and you're a part of that community, you're gonna have a you know a leg up. And the last thing I would share is you have to leverage your strengths. I have you know a lot of people would email me and say, hey, you know, I'm an entrepreneur now. I left my career and I'll ask them like what would you do what'd you do before? Like, oh I was a computer developer. I was like, oh great. That's awesome. So what are you doing now? I'm a life coach. I'm like well, so why? Like why are you a life coach? You could be an entrepreneur and help other people hire great developers, or you know how to give them project management tips or whatever. Use your strengths. you have some great experience and experience can come in different fashions can come in different ways, you know, like if I was going to go into the travel industry right. I would probably choose a particular country. My niche or my focus wouldn't be, hey, travel to North Korea. It would probably be Egypt because I've been to Egypt a whole bunch of times. I speak Arabic. I understand Egyptian culture. I have a leg up. I have I, never been in the industry, but I have some experience given my background. So, why am I going to go into something that I don't have any strengths in? I don't have any. And I felt that way, that strategy has really helped me a lot throughout my life and throughout my business career, especially with the $100 MBA show. Because our show is—it's a teaching podcast where I teach lessons. And when I launched that show, you know, beforehand I had another podcast that didn't do so well. And a big part of it is because I didn't leverage my strengths. You know, like I looked at the business category and saw all these great podcasts at Tim Ferriss and this and that and the other guy and uh, you know Pat Flynn who started back in 2006 and Art of Charm ten years ago and all this stuff. And I was like, how am I going to compete with these people? You know, like you got to get real with yourself. And I thought, you know what? No one's teaching. I'm a teacher. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to try to teach in my lessons. And I know that I have a competitive advantage of that because none of these guys have teaching degrees and haven't been teaching as much as I have. So again, try to see what your advantages are, leverage them in your business, and that should you know give you some competitive advantage.
0: I love that. So going to your strengths and disciplining yourself to be consistent and scratching your own itch, it really seems like a valuable set of guidelines there. Definitely. I'm sure people who are listening to this are going to want to find out more about how they can get in touch with you and find out about your projects and your programs. How can people find you online?
1: Sure. So I'm most responsive on Twitter. So my handle is TheOmarZenHome. If you want to email me, you can just sign up for any of our, um, our free courses or free guides. You can go to 100mba.net. We have a free course there. If you go to WebinarNinja.co, uh, you can see uh, we have a free course on how to create your first webinar there. And if you reply to any of those emails, I'll be able to respond to you personally.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Omar. It's been a pleasure meeting you.
1: Thank you, David. appreciate it.
0: Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, And visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.